Hello, everybody. How's it going? Uh, yeah, if, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Ian Somerville. I have the privilege of serving as uh, many things in Journey. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm on the eldership team, uh, one of the worship leaders. Um, uh, from time to time, I'll hoover the floor or do whatever needs done. Uh, it's, it's the privilege of my life to sort of serve and be part of this amazing church. Um, uh, also, uh, I am a husband of, uh, husband of Jill and uh, father of Jonah, uh, who you will probably have seen running about like a mad agent there this morning. Uh, he's away home for his nap, and I think I maybe need a nap more than he does after trying to... I'm, I'm, we're at the stage where we're trying to talk him through things, so like during worship, I'm like, this song's all about the faithfulness of Jesus, and he, he, he looked down, he, he had wee, wee dinosaurs on his top this morning uh, from Toy Story, and there's one who had its hands up, and he went, hands up, worship Jesus. And I went, yes. <laughs> so... Yeah, uh, I, I, love, I, I love being a father, I love being a daddy, and uh, so it's, those of you who know Jill and I and have known us for a, for a while know that we have, we'd, we've been on a long journey uh, with that and adopting Jonah, and he's just, he's just a delight. Um, and we're also delighted with how well everybody in church loves him, so thank you. Um, now, uh, normally I'd start off with some funny quip, some funny story, some jokes, have a, a laugh or two, ease into it gently, and then hit you between the eyeballs with something really hard. Um, that's not how we're going to do this this morning, and I'm not really sorry about it, but I am actually. Yesterday, I had a wee moment with Jesus where I went, Jesus, would you please take this message away from me, because I don't want to preach it, uh, and, or could I preach it my way by doing certain things, and Jesus was just like, no. So uh, what you're going to get this morning is right from the word go, this is a punch between the eyes. Uh, it's a, as much a punch between the eyes for me as it is for anybody else. This is not maybe a gentle, easy word to hear, but you're going to love it. You're going to love it. Um, so we're going to start in, in Luke 9. And again, uh, this is a, a scripture that has burned in me for the last uh, month or so. And as I kind of go through this this morning, as we process some of this together, I have a very short space of time to unpack what is quite a meaty message that God wants to give us. So we're just going to jump in. So this is Luke 9, beginning at verse 57 to 62. Now, in my Bible, which is a New King James Bible, the, the title or the subtitle above this is called The Cost of Discipleship. So we're going there, right from the word go. So here we go. Uh, now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another said to him, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand on the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. I'm just gonna let that sit for a minute. Told you this isn't an easy word. 
It's not going to be an easy word to hear. I'm telling you, it's not an easy word to preach. But the first thing God wants to get across to us this morning is we need to stop looking back. We need to stop looking back, one, to the stuff that's happened to us, that's messed us up, because that's stealing our future. But also, we've got to stop looking back to the good stuff and looking back to the past manna and the stuff from previous days, going, oh, I wish it was like that. We've got to stop looking back. You see, there is kingdom business that's happening right now. There is manna from heaven that is today, it is right now. And we need to, as a church, stop looking back and wishing it was like what it was in the past, or looking back and going, oh my goodness, I'm so hurt in the past, I can't go forward. And we actually need to put our hand to the plow and till the ground that God has for us right now. And this is part of the cost of discipleship. Now, this sermon series is entitled Change Your World. If you want to change your world, you have to be willing to count the cost. If you want to change your world, if you actually want your world to change, now not just saying, oh, wouldn't it be nice if things are different? Wouldn't it be nice if X, Y, or Z was a little bit better in my life? If you want your world to change, there is a cost. On the 28th of February, and I know this because I look back up my calendar, um, I was running about with Jonah in the house, and I was out of breath, I was knackered, I was done in. And I'm not saying any of this to either shame me or the next bit to kind of blow me up because I looked at this and I went, if I'm gonna be a good daddy to this boy, I need to wise up and I need to get my life sorted out and I need to get back in shape. So on the 28th of February, I joined a gym and I have been training four days a week for the last uh, six, seven months uh, I changed all of my eating habits almost overnight, and I'm kind of working on different macros and all sorts of things and trying to follow the science. Uh, I have changed my body by bringing it into submission to my will, because I've gone, I have a cost that I have to pay if I want to be here long enough to be a good father to this child. If I actually want to be a good role model to him, there's a cost I have to pay. Any change that you bring in your life, there's a cost. There's a cost for any change that you want to bring in your life. You see, if we want to see revival come and change happen in our family, in Antrim, in Ireland, in the nations, first, revival has to come in here. First, revival has to come in here. And here's the thing. Revival comes when we submit ourselves as disciples of Jesus Christ and we allow him to come in and be Lord and ruler of our lives. You see, I don't get to make the decisions anymore. I don't get to make decisions about where I'll go, what I'll do, where my job will be, how I'll... I don't get to make those decisions anymore because I have a Lord and Master who makes those decisions. You see, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, don't start this thing unless you're prepared to see it through. Don't start on this journey of being a disciple of Jesus, if you're gonna look back and you're gonna go, oh, I need all, because here's what happened. Jesus said to all these people, come on, follow me. In fact, some of them came to him and said, I wanna follow you. What was Jesus' response? Jesus' response was basically, really? The birds of the air have a nest, the foxes have a home, but I don't. Do you really want to count the cost and follow me? 
because it's not going to be easy. You see, we make things so easy in church. Oh, there's lovely music, and there's lovely nice gentle prayer time, and there's lovely this, and there's lovely that, and it's so comfortable. And here's the thing, it ain't comfortable if you're going to be a follower of Jesus. It ain't comfortable. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to do some awkward stuff. You're going to have to say some things that aren't very popular. You're going to have to do some things that the world tells you are crazy and are wrong. There is a cost to following Jesus. Now, let's take a little, let's take a little sidebar here. Okay. I know, and I'm not talking salvifically here. I'm not talking about salvation. Jesus has paid the price. I can't add a dot or a comma or anything to the, the finished work of Jesus Christ. I can't add anything to that. Jesus has paid all of that, okay? And what we do sometimes in churches, we go, well, Jesus paid it all, but now you've got to do this bit. That's not what I'm doing this morning, okay? However, if we're going to see Jesus get his full reward in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our town, in our nation, if we're going to see Jesus get his full reward here, I am committed with everything I am to see Jesus get in his full reward within my lifetime in Ireland. There's a cost. I don't get to do it all my way. You see, I like to be in charge. I like to be the boss. In my life outside of school, I am the boss. I'm not talking about home because my... <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Okay. But I'm I'm the boss. I, I'm I'm the boss of my workplace. I've lots of people that I have to inspire and to to help and to get the best out of and do all those things. I like to be in charge. But I've discovered recently, when I'm in charge and I'm making decisions, sometimes I make decisions even for the best reasons, and they actually don't work out the right way. See, the Lord has been convicting me. In the past, so really in the past sort of month, from, from round about just before the conference to now, the Lord has been convicting me. Do I rely, and this is a personal question to me, but it may apply to you. Do I rely so much on the gifting that he's given me? And I, so much so to the point that I don't need him at all. You see, I know what God, see this is the thing, this next bit could sound like arrogance. This isn't arrogance. This is just me knowing who I am. I know what I'm called to do. God gave me a communication gift. He gave me a gift to stand here and to preach the gospel. That's, that's the gift that God gave me. He, he gave me an ability to train people and to equip people and to help people do that. God has given me lots of different gifts. I've worked at them. I've honed them. I've crafted them. I've invested in them. But they're gifts that were given to me by God. Why? So that I could preach the gospel and so that people would hear about Jesus and actually give a response to Jesus. That's, that's why God gave me that gift. That's why I'm here. That's my gift has elevated me to here. But the problem is this. I have a natural gift. I could stand up here and tell jokes and be the stand-up comedian and be the plunker and do those things and entertain you. No problem. That's easy. That's what I was put here on this earth to do on some level. But I can do that and rely totally on me and not on Jesus. And I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. The whole reason I'm here with this gift is to raise up men and women who are sold out for Jesus. The whole reason I get to do what I get to do in church is so that 
the message of the gospel would be propitiated in Antrim, would be planted here, and there would be a move of God that happens in this land that is way beyond me, that's way beyond John, that's way beyond this church, and that sees Jesus reach his full reward in this town. That's why we're here, okay? See, I have a cost to pay as a disciple. Paul describes it like this. This is Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Now, I grew up in a good evangelical home, and I've had this scripture taught to me in a certain way that actually it doesn't mean. So when I was young, this was taught as bond servant. Well, that's different to, that's a different thing to a slave. That's a different thing to, and you may well have heard this, okay? So I'm gonna kind of dig into it a little bit because it doesn't quite mean what I was taught it meant when I was younger. But I was taught this idea that, this idea of bond servant, it goes back to Exodus 21 and this idea that if somebody, if you've been a slave for a certain period of time, you're released, and then because you love that master so much, you choose then to be a bond servant. Okay? And that's what was conflated with this passage. And that's how it was taught to me as I was growing up. Oh, Paul chose to be. Paul chose nothing. Paul was knocked on his butt as he was traveling on the road to Damascus. He was literally knocked off his horse and blinded. Paul didn't choose that. Paul at that moment was brought into slavery. And this is why they don't translate it like this. Because the word slavery ain't palatable. But he was a slave. That's what it means. Literally in the Greek, that word means slave. And you see, there's a difference between an idea of somebody who's volunteering to be a servant of the Lord and somebody who literally can't do anything else. Paul is a slave. This is why, if you go through Acts, every time Paul gets himself into a situation where he could get, he's getting a little bit of a scrape, Paul says the wrong thing time and time again. He never, ever once tries to say something to calm the waters or to cool things down or to not offend the Jewish contingent or the Greek contingent or whoever wants to kill him in that particular moment. He always says the thing that inflames them most. So much so that on several occasions, mobs chase him out of cities with stones and they just want to kill him. Why? Because Paul is a slave to the gospel. He is a slave to Jesus. When he goes into situations, he doesn't get a choice what he's going to say. He has to preach the gospel. So when Paul does that, people get offended. And they want to stone him. And they want to kill him. What I'm saying here is Paul has no choice. He is a slave to the lordship of Christ. Now, of course, we know free will. He could decide, no, I'm not going to walk in that calling. I'm going to walk away. Yeah. Do you think that would work out particularly well for him? Do you think we'd be talking about Paul right now if he'd done that? No. See, of course you have a choice. You can take it or you can leave it. So that was what the choice was in our house. Food was there. Take it or leave it. You don't take it, you're going to be hungry. Here's the thing. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus and see Jesus get his full reward, you have no choice. Whether it's easy or whether it's hard, whether the people who are listening to you are going to accept it or they're going to hate you, 
you have no choice but to bring that gospel message. You have no choice but to look. And don't get me wrong, I struggle with this because I was brought up in a nice Christian home and you don't offend people and you don't annoy people and you don't poke the bear. And then I married a wife who loves to poke the bear. <laughs> and I learned a lot. So what is this to do with changing your world? Okay, Ian, what is this to do? Change your world? You haven't talked anything really properly about changing your world here. Okay. I have. You just haven't heard it yet. If I truly want to change my world, I have to actually start with the idea. And this is an idea that I was hit with probably in level one theotherapy. I don't have problems. I'm the problem. I don't have problems, I'm the problem. Now, that's offensive. That is really offensive. And that cuts to the quick because people go, oh, but that person did that thing to me and they hurt me and that situation, oh, that's systematic injustice against me and that's all, all those things were external to me. Well, here's the thing. Yeah, they were. And I'm gonna talk about it in a minute. and I'm not saying that you have no trauma or difficulties in your life, but the question I'm gonna ask you is how long do you want to live there? How long do you want to live there? Remember, he who looks back isn't worthy to inherit the kingdom of God. Why are we allowing these things that happened in our past, that happened back here, to be the things that dictate, one, who we are now, and two, who we can be? You see, the problem is this. Satan has an incredible lie that he, he injects into society that things can't change. It is one of the most powerful lies because it cuts right at what we believe. Because fundamentally, there's something inside us that we go, I don't deserve any better. And if you're in a place where you don't deserve any better, and the devil says, nothing can ever change, you're going to eat that hook, line, and sinker, and you're going to be stuck there until you can break that lie off your life. You see... A lot of the bad stuff in my life, a lot of stuff I had to face in February, I had made really bad choices nutritionally for a long time, okay? I've made really bad choices. I had to live with the consequences of those choices. A lot of the issues that we have and that we face are because of decisions we have made. Now again, some things that have happened to us we're not because of decisions we made, and I will talk about that in a minute. But here's the thing. If I really want to change my world, I have to get this idea that Paul had that I am a bond servant of Jesus Christ, and I don't get to make those decisions anymore. I don't get to make those decisions anymore. I don't get to decide when it's okay to preach the gospel. I don't get to decide when it's okay to do X, Y, or Z, or to go here to do that. I have a Lord, a master, who is the sovereign king of my life, who gets to make those decisions. You know, I'm so thankful for Julia Muir for many reasons. Honestly, this church probably would not, well, it might be here, but it certainly wouldn't be as healthy as it is without the ministry of Julia Muir. Julia Muir and I went toe-to-toe -to -toe in level one theotherapy, and many of you will have had this experience talking about the sovereignty of God, and I'm like, you're a Calvinist, and you're... We had these big arguments, and do you know what I came to the conclusion of? 
My God is sovereign. He rules and he reigns. And I want him enthroned in my life as rule, ruling and reigning. Because what so many of us have done, and I'm sorry that this is a harsh word this morning, what so many of us have done is actually in that seat of our lives, in that throne in our own lives, you've allowed your hurt and your pain and your past to sit in the driving seat. And you can sit there with that pain and that offense for as long as you like until you're ready to face those things, to dethrone them, to move them, remove them from all power in your life and in the place, put Jesus as ruler and reigner in your life. He is my sovereign God. He gets to make these decisions. You see, a lot of the decisions that I have made lead to bad things. Even when I think I'm making good decisions, I have to bring the decisions, and not just the big ones. I have to bring my choices and my decisions under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Will I get every decision right? No. But I am committed. I am committed to submitting my will to his, that it wouldn't be my will that would be done, but it would be his. You see, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, four weeks ago, kingdom come, four weeks, three weeks ago, um, standing beside Mitch from Crown Jesus. Anybody know Mitch? Most people know Mitch. Mitch is great. Uh, Mitch and I are having this moment where we're going, revival's here, it's happening, revival's breaking out, yeah. And, uh, the next thing I know, I'm flat on my face in the tent, and God is asking me a question. And the question is, will you pay the price? And I started to cry, and he kept asking the question, will you pay the price? Will you count the cost? And very weakly, very tearfully, I said, yeah, I'm going to count that cost. Whatever it takes, Jesus, I'm going to be your disciple. I'm going to preach your word. I am committed to seeing my family, my church, my town, my land be revived with the fire of Jesus Christ. And I know I'm not the only one who had an experience like that at Kingdom Come. Because what God did is he positioned us to a place where we had to look at it and make some good choices. And I'm not saying that to buff me up or blow me up. It's not, that's, that's not the point of that story. The point of the story is what's coming next. See, I've given you quite a hard message so far, and I know that. And I've set the bar way up here, really high. And I'm going, I can't meet it. I can't meet this bar. I can't do this. I can't always pay this cost. I'm not going to always get this right. But we need to look at what the gospel is this morning. We need to look at what Jesus has done, what Jesus has accomplished for us that we couldn't do, and where he seated us this morning. Because when we get this bit here, and I'm kind of in the last third of this here, when we get this bit here, it kind of flips everything up and makes this something that we are able to give our lives to. See, fundamentally, the message of the gospel, and it just means the good news of Jesus, 
is that we don't get what we deserve. Jesus saves us from our poor choices, from all the hurt, from all the offense that we've caused, and all the things that were inflicted upon us. Jesus saves us from the grip of the deathly lie that we don't deserve any better. See, Jesus just doesn't see it the same way as we do because Jesus' love is so strong for us that he was prepared to go to hell, to rend the very gates of hell so that we would never have to go there. And I'm not just talking about a spiritual end of life, okay, eternal conscious torment. I'm not, yes, that, but also we can live in hell every day here if we choose to, if we choose to live in that place of suffering. And Jesus doesn't want that for us. He has a better way. And we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, beginning at verse 14 here. And these are famous scriptures. These are hopefully well-known scriptures. Um, let's just read it. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. Say all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, say themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Okay. There's some amazing stuff in here. We're going to unpack a little bit of it that we've got time for. But the first thing I want you to notice here is the phrase, one died for all. Okay? Jesus comes into the world fully God, yet fully man. When Jesus dies on the cross, he dies as humanity. We die with him. That's the next bit of it. One died for all, then all died. That includes you. It includes me. Jesus deals once and for all the problem of sin by dying to it. But it doesn't end there because Jesus is resurrected. So therefore, as Jesus is resurrected, we are resurrected with him. What are we resurrected into? A new creation. What Paul is talking about here is that Jesus didn't just go and give some sort of, uh, you know, atoning work on the cross where he, he sort of takes the blows that we should have taken. No, what actually happens on the cross is Jesus dies in such a way and defeats death that humanity is forever changed. The nature of who we are as believers is fundamentally different. We are a new creation. We have a new creation reality. If you're a believer in here this morning, you're not quite the same as your non-believing friends. You're a new creation. You have accepted that life. You've come out of the kingdom of darkness and you're into the kingdom of light. There's something more I want us to see here before we move on past these first couple of verses. And he died for all that those who live 
should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. I don't get to live for me. I don't get to live under my decisions and my ideas. I am a bond servant of Jesus Christ. That's the point of this. If I'm living under a new creation reality and what Jesus has accomplished for me, I don't live for myself anymore. I live for Christ. I live under what he wants, under what he wants to release, under what he wants to do, not me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Timothy Keller, some of you will be familiar with Timothy Keller. He's a fairly famous uh, modern-day person in the Reform movement. Uh, Timothy Keller puts it like this. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, At the same time, we're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. See, it's worse than we thought it was, but Jesus. If you truly want to change, you need to accept this simple fact. The only way out of your situation, the only way that change will come is Jesus. The only way things are going to get better is Jesus. You see, he's not a way or a good idea or a pleasant philosopher or a, you know, meek and mild Jesus petting a wee lamb. He is the only answer to your problem. He is the only answer to your situation. See, we need to get to the end of ourselves, this fixer-up mentality Oh, if I just pray a little bit longer. Oh, if I just do a little bit more Bible reading. Oh, if I just go to one more counseling session. Oh, if I just go to level one TT. If I just do this thing and I just keep going around this hamster wheel, someday, maybe, I'll be all right. Now, I'm not knocking any of those things. Those are the things that have brought transformation in my life. But they came from the point where I understood who Jesus was what he'd done, and I accepted that he was desiring and willing to change me from the inside out, not from the outside in, because it doesn't work that way. That's why TT is so effective. Because you go in at the deep hurt, and you heal that, and that healing comes and sort of manifests out. I'm going to skip the last scripture here. I'm not going to go into the detail on that. We don't have time for it. We're going to end here. And here's how we're going to end. The Lord doesn't want us to stay where we are. The Lord doesn't want us bound by the past. The Lord doesn't want us holding on to things that have held us back. I feel like there's so many people and this isn't just, like, this isn't, a, this isn't a prophetic word. This is just when you're speaking to any group of people. There's so many people who are sitting in the ashes of their past and can't move past it. Jesus wants to break something in that this morning. Jesus wants to break the lie over your life 
that it can never change, that you're stuck. Jesus wants to break the lie over your life that you don't deserve any better. And in its place, Jesus wants to tell you, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. It's no longer you that live, but it's Christ that lives through you. It's a heavy word this morning. But Jesus wants to bring freedom into our church. He wants to bring freedom into your life this morning. And this is what we're going to do. Uh, the worship team are going to come back up. And the prayer, uh, the prayer, prayer team, the prayer guys are going to come up. And there's two responses this morning. There's two things that God wants to deal with. One, if you're stuck in the past and you need somebody to stand with you as you uh, come out from your ashes. Now again, this might take more than one prayer session. You actually might need to book a session with Elaine or John to process some stuff. But as a first step this morning, John's shaking his head. They're going, oh, no way, I'm playing. <laughs> no, definitely not, John. But you might need to book a session to deal with some of the things that the Lord's highlighting. Start that journey. But this is a first step of going, I acknowledge it before the Lord, and I want to have the strength and the power to deal with it. The second group of people then that God wants to deal with, if you've been living under that idea, if you've been living under that lie that you're stuck in the past, that you, you know, let's come get that prayer. The second group of people then that God wants to deal with are, are folks who are just really, really hungry for change in their lives and just need that touch of the Holy Spirit this morning. So if you need a touch from God this morning, in either way, the ministry team are going to be here. Just come up and they're going to pray for you. And we really believe that what God's moving in our church at the minute is just freedom. God's going to bring freedom into your life. God's going to bring freedom into your, uh, your family, into your workplace, into your ministry. God wants to bring freedom this morning. Just stand with me. Jesus, I thank you for this amazing church. I thank you for these wonderful people, Lord. And I thank you for the message of the gospel that brings hope, Lord. Would you plant hope deep inside of us, Lord, that it does not need to stay the way it is. God, we just break that lie of the enemy over every life, over every soul in this place, that it doesn't have to be stuck in the past, Lord. Would you take our eyes off our ashes, off the past, and would you focus our eyes on you, Jesus? Would you come and bring freedom and hope and joy back into the lives of those who've lost it. And I just ask you right now, sovereign God, to be ruler and reigner and Lord and master over this church forever. Anything else, any other idol that puts itself in that place, God, we say, would you topple it? Would you bring it down? And we say, we only want Jesus. We only want Jesus. We only want you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.